So the, the gospel passages that we hear Sunday after Sunday are oftentimes, almost always, like good by themselves. Like, you know, just if you, a lot of times if you open up a Bible, uh, you'll see this, like little sections marked off and maybe a little heading on the top explaining like, this is what's going on in this passage. And so that's a lot of times what we hear on Sundays in our readings, uh, but maybe first and foremost or, or primarily in the gospel passages. And they're, they're good by themselves and can oftentimes be used uh, for teaching purposes or for just simply preaching the gospel, right? This is what we do every week. Sometimes though, I think it's really helpful for us um, to take the particular passage that we hear on a Sunday and put it into the context of whatever gospel it is that we're reading. So uh, this year, we primarily tend to be reading from the gospel of Mark. And so I think sometimes it can be good with the passages that we're reading to put it into the context of the whole gospel of Mark, right? Because each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have different themes that they like to emphasize, different different uh, things that they noticed about life with Jesus. And so what I want to do with this particular passage, right, this comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. That means before this, there are five complete chapters and then a little bit of a, another chapter to go before it. So uh, the, the New Testament that I carry around with me, it's got those little paragraphs, right? So there's there's like the paragraph and then there's a heading above it kind of explaining what's going on. So I'm, I'm not going to read through like every little heading that's in my Bible. That would take a long time. Um, but I'm going to sort of invite us to imagine ourselves from the beginning, right? To imagine yourself being one who actually sees and hears Jesus. This might be challenging for some of us because I think in our culture, we tend to think of imagining things to be almost like a childish sort of exercise. But I think there's like, for sure, I know this, within the Catholic Christian tradition, there's a deep history of people reading scripture and using their imagination to picture what's going on or what's being said. So just to try to imagine yourself from the beginning. And it begins, the Gospel of Mark begins, not with a birth narrative. He kind of skips over that. The Gospel of Mark begins with John the Baptist preaching in the desert, right? So to try to imagine a man who looks like a wild man, right? A really long beard. He wears a tunic. His hair is probably really disheveled. And yet in his eyes, there's a certain kind of clarity about what he's saying. Right, John comes onto the scene out by the Jordan River because there's water there, and he's preaching, Mark says, a baptism of repentance. His, his first words in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, repent, repent, prepare the way of the Lord, turn away from your sins because the Lord is coming. And we'll talk about repentance a little bit more, but he begins with this. And then suddenly, this other guy comes onto the scene, Jesus, right? Jesus shows up. And he demands to be baptized by John, even though Jesus has no sins to be forgiven. Except when Jesus is baptized, something different happens. And we see this in the Gospel of Mark. When, when Jesus is baptized, it says the heavens were opened and a light shines down upon Jesus. And it says uh, a dove, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And there was a voice that came from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I try to imagine 
being there and try to imagine being a Jewish person who's been waiting your entire life for this very moment. And you see it happen and you hear the voice speaking. Imagine getting incredibly excited about what's about to happen. And you just, like, you can't wait to see what happens next because this is the one, this is the Messiah, the one who's been promised for years, like thousands of years. He's been promised by God, by the prophets, by, by all the holy men and women who came before you. And all of your people are just so eager and have been waiting for this moment. And now it seems that it's finally here, right? There's a certain kind of excitement that, that cannot possibly be matched by anything else that happens. And then what happens after Jesus is baptized? He goes into the desert. He sort of disappears, but you don't, you don't know exactly what's going on because he goes off by himself, but you just sort of keep in your memory that moment of him being baptized. And Jesus goes into the desert. He's tempted by the devil. But then when he comes out of the desert, he comes and it's like he's on this brand new mission that he's got, which really in his mind is the mission that he's been planning the whole time. But nonetheless, he comes with power and he is ready to go and he starts to call people. He calls Simon and Andrew, James and John. He calls men and women as well to follow after him, to be his disciples. Right? Try to imagine yourself, him looking at you and pointing to you and saying, come and be with me. Come and follow me. Come and see what I'm about to do. Come and hear what I'm about to say. I try to imagine in your heart this, this sort of like, he's really calling me. Like, I really get to go and spend my time with the Messiah, the one who's been promised. Like, I can't believe this is happening. And you follow him around and you see pretty soon what begins to happen. Well, he goes from different place to different place. And he's, what's he doing? He's teaching. He's always teaching in the Gospels. It seems like everywhere he goes, Jesus is teaching something. He's preaching the message of repentance, right? This is his first message, in fact. Just as John preached a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, so too Jesus' first words in the Gospels are repent. For the time is finally here. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then what else is he doing? He's healing people, actually. You see this. There's, there's a man in the, in, the, in the synagogue, and he's got this unclean spirit. It's like he's possessed by a demon of some sort, and Jesus tells the demon within this man to leave him. And it actually happens. The man, it turns out, is, is completely fine and, and healthy once again. Right then he goes to different places and he heals people. He goes to Simon Peter's house and Simon Peter's mother is laying sick with a fever so that she can't even get out of bed. And all Jesus has to do is grab her by the hand and suddenly she's perfectly well again. Right, soon enough, news catches on about this Jesus figure, this, this character, Jesus, the Messiah, and people start to come and flock toward him, and, and they come with their ailments and their diseases and their sicknesses, and he heals them simply by, by talking to them, simply by touching them. Like, they come and they're physically impaired, and you see that they are. And when they leave Jesus, they're healthy. Imagine that, the, the excitement building in your heart and in your mind, right? Then he goes on this preaching tour, and as he's going on this preaching tour, he encounters a man who has leprosy, a disease of the skin that is so visible and disgusting that the Jewish people aren't even allowed to be near them. 
And this leper comes up to Jesus and he sees Jesus who, for who he is and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, instead of shying away from the leper like all good Jews are supposed to, instead he goes to him, he touches him and he says, I do will it, be made clean. And the leprosy goes away. You begin to wonder in your mind, who is this Jesus? There's the scene, right? You see this happening, the paralytic. There's so many people around Jesus when he's in this house that the paralytic has to be lowered down through the roof. And, and as he's lowered down, Jesus is just like amazed at his faith. And so he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says to them, the most, this is the most amazing thing. He says, rise, pick up your pallet and go home. And the guy who's a paralytic, he actually picks up his pallet and he walks and he goes home and it's like, how am I so privileged? How is this, what is this gift that I've received from God that I actually get to receive this, so that I get to witness this, that I get to hear these words? You hear him continuing to preach and to teach, and then one day this, this wild thing happens. You're out on the sea with, your, with, with all of your, your followers, uh, with all of the followers of Jesus. You're on this boat, and there's this incredible storm so that it, the waves are coming in, and the boat is like beginning to sink because it's filled with water, and Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Jesus, what are you doing? And so you can't help but go to him and say, Lord, we're perishing, don't you care? And then the most amazing thing happens. He wakes up and he yells at the weather. How many times do we yell at the weather, right? Nothing happens. Jesus yells at the weather and it becomes calm. And you hear the other disciples of Jesus saying, like, who is this who even the wind and the seas obey? And then he gets to the land and there's a demoniac and, and the demoniac is possessed and, and Jesus casts out the demon from the demoniac and it goes into these pigs and the pigs go into the, into the river and they all drown. And, and then the people of the land like beg him to leave because they, they don't want him to ruin their economy, to ruin their business. And as you and Jesus go away, you can't help but wonder like how foolish these people are to not want Jesus to be present in their lives. But yet I'm just gonna go where Jesus is going. So I'm just like, we're ready to go. And then when he gets back to the other side of the ocean, this guy comes and he says, my daughter is sick, come and, and heal her and, and she will be well. And as you're on the way, you get a message that the daughter has died and so there's no point because your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't worry, just have faith. And he goes and he comes to your daughter who is laying there dead and he picks her up and he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she comes back to life. Right? Can you imagine the excitement in your mind and in your heart? Like, not just that this girl has come back to life, although that's amazing enough in itself, but it's like every promise that has been made in the past is now being fulfilled in this man, Jesus, and you just can't imagine life getting any better. And then Jesus goes home. Right? This is the gospel we heard last week. He goes home and he preaches, and his people, his own people, refused to accept him, and they told him to leave town. And now it's like you're out on the edges of the town, and it's, you can imagine, right? It's a conversation that's not been uh, written down, recorded in the, in the Gospels, but you can imagine Jesus looking into your eyes almost with like a little twinkle like, have you seen all this? Have you heard everything that I've, I've said and seen everything that I've done? And with excitement, you're like, yes, Jesus, I've seen it, and I am jacked up about it. I'm just so excited to be privileged to be in this moment. Like, I can't imagine my life being better. And so with a smile, he says to you, 
I'm so glad to share it with you. Now it's your turn. Go and do the same things. Go and preach, go and teach, go and heal people. And you're just like, wait a minute, what? You, you, want me, you want me to do what? Right, because you know yourself, just like I know myself. I, no, Jesus, like, you're the one who can do those things. You're the one who's been promised who would come and do those things. Not me. I'm not the one. I'm here to be with you. And he says, no, you go. I'm giving you authority to do this. So it's like, okay, well, I, I guess I, I'll obey you and I'll, I'll do what I can, but I don't, like, what do I, what do, I do? Like, what, what do I say? What do I, and he's just like, just go. And so as they're going, right, you're imagining like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Well, I, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't say anything that's going to make this any better. So I'm just going to do what Jesus did, right? What did Jesus do? He preached repentance, right? So what does it say? So it says they went off and preached repentance. Because they're like, I can't do this on my own, but I can, I can try to be like Jesus and, and, you know, maybe something will happen then. So that's what happens. They go and they preach repentance and people actually repent. They turn away from their sinful lives and, the, and their sinful actions and they turn toward God, right? They, they shift their focus, their attention, because repentance isn't only about turning away from bad behavior, but it's about turning away from those things so that I can turn toward the Lord God who has come into my presence. Right? And so they take on this whole new focus of their attention and they place it entirely on Jesus. And then the disciples, they say, well, I, I can't actually heal anybody, but Jesus said I could, so I'm going to just pray with people and I'm going to pray with you. And like, oh my gosh, you've actually been healed. Like, this is amazing. How did this happen? Right? Imagine this happening and like, imagine yourself saying like, I, I have no idea how this is happening. But I know that I've spent my time with Jesus and he told me to do these things and I did it and like stuff happened. Can you imagine that? Brothers and sisters, this is the thing. We don't always have to imagine because our lives, your life, my life are meant to be like this. Right? It's true that not everyone here is going to be an apostle. Not everyone here is going to be a bishop or a priest or a formal teacher of the faith. But it is absolutely true that every single one of us is meant to preach, to teach, and to heal people. Every single one of us is meant to go out into the world, to teach people about Jesus, even to pray with other people. Some may be even to pray with other people and heal them physically. Everybody to pray with people and heal them internally to bring about renewal in the world because God wants the world back. He wants all people to repent, to turn away from whatever it is that's occupying their mind and their attention and to turn toward Him, to give Him all of their attention and all of their focus. This is what your life is meant to look like and mine as well. What does it take? It takes courage. 
Now, some maybe are not ready to go and preach the message because perhaps some of us still need to repent ourselves. Some of us perhaps still need to turn away from things because we're giving other things the primary focus of our attention. And so for some of us, we might need to have a different kind of courage, the kind of courage that's willing to let go of these things and turn entirely toward Jesus. Perhaps for some of us, we're somewhere in between, where we've mostly turned toward Jesus, but there might still be some things that we're holding on to that allow our attention to be distracted from Jesus and toward these other things. I know I fit into that camp. Whatever it is, brothers and sisters, we need the courage from the Holy Spirit so that we can go out into the world and live our lives for the Lord and live like the Lord. This is what it is to live the Christian life, to share in the life of Jesus himself. So that we don't just have to imagine what it must have been like 2,000 years ago, but instead we can see it unfolding before our very eyes here and now. So I'm going to end with just a simple, short prayer, asking the Lord God to send down the Holy Spirit so that we can be courageous men and women of God, living our lives for him and preaching and teaching and even perhaps healing others around us. So let's finish with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all of the gifts that you have given to us, that you have lavished upon us. We thank you, Jesus for your invitation, for choosing us to live according to your glory and your excellence. Jesus, we need your help, your divine assistance. We beg you, Jesus, to make us courageous men and women for you. We beg you, Jesus, for the courage to turn away from our sins and toward you, to let go of those things that are hindering our relationship with you. We beg you, Jesus, for the courage to speak to others about your goodness and about your divine glory. We beg you, Jesus, for the courage to step out and take a risk for you in all that we do, praying with people, teaching about your kingdom, and preaching about your glory, your goodness, your death and resurrection. Fill us, Jesus, with a spirit of courage, with a spirit of boldness, so that we can expand your kingdom and turn the hearts of others toward you. Amen.